0: And that was the report that found that 54,000 women a year lose their jobs for getting pregnant. So that's a woman every 10 minutes in the Mm. UK. One in nine pregnant women lose their jobs for getting pregnant.
1: Hello and a warm welcome to Season 5 of Brown Don't Frown Podcast. Our first ever episode went live back in October 2019 and since then we have brought five seasons totaling almost 50 guests and their stories straight to your ears. I hope you've been able to learn from them as much as I have. I am your host, Tanya Hardcastle. Brown Don't Frown spotlights the experiences of a diverse range of women and brings new perspectives. So I hope that you finish each episode feeling more rounded, energised and inspired. Heartened by my own personal journey with pregnancy and motherhood, season five will be a special series comprising four episodes covering the joys and challenges of motherhood and maternity and empowering change in childcare, mental health and the workforce. The BDF community has grown so much over the past three years. Thank you to all of you who've subscribed to the podcast and left as a review. As an independent podcaster, that means a lot to me. If you want to stay updated on the latest news, podcast episodes and exclusives, you can sign up to the newsletter by clicking the link in the episode notes. That's all from me for now. Enjoy Season 5. Hello everyone, and welcome to a brand new series of Brown Dope Brown podcast. Today I'm joined by Jolie Brearley, who is founder of charity and campaign group Pregnant Then Screwed, which she founded in 2015 after her own experience with pregnancy discrimination. Her then-employer fired her by voicemail two days after she told them that she was pregnant. She tried to sue them but dropped it because her doctor told her the stress would harm her pregnancy. And then in 2021, she took the government to court for indirect sex discrimination on the basis that self-employed mothers were financially penalised by the income support scheme. So, first of all, welcome, Jolie, to Brown Tote Brown podcast. Um, It's an absolute honour to have you. Um, I'm having a bit of a fangirl moment. I've been following um, Pregnant and Screwed for as long as I can remember, and I'm a big admirer of all your campaign work and and sort of all the passion and energy that you throw into into this project. So, uh, welcome, and uh, it's great to have you.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Tanya. Honestly, it's a real delight to be here.
1: So tell us a bit more about yourself. Um, Obviously, I I sort of did a a short bio, but it'd be good to hear in your own words a bit more about you. Oh, a bit more about me. Um,
0: I, I live in York, which I've been living in for the last three years. I moved here just before the pandemic and didn't know anybody. So that was an interesting process. I've got two kids who are uh 6 and 8 both boys so they spend a lot of time punching each other in the face and you know playing with their own penises which is a joy. <laughs> <laughs> I have um I live with my partner and I spend pretty much all of my time working so I don't really have a social life so I don't really ever have anything that interesting to say <laughs> unless it's about pregnancy and maternity discrimination or um, the nightmares that mothers have when it comes to like child care and flexible working. Um, so that's probably about all I can tell you about me.
1: Well <laughs> I've got to say you've got a lot. I'm sure you have a lot of interesting things to say, and you will today. So it's good to know a bit more about your background. Um, and yeah, that you that you have two boys I'm expecting as well in the autumn. And I found out the gender recently. So I'm also having a boy. So I've been told that they are easier than girls, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're an interesting
0: bunch, the boys, but they're always, they're nearly always very affectionate and um. Aww
1: and lovely I love my boys they're brilliant oh that's lovely pregnant and screwed um, so he started off as a safe space for mothers to sort of share their stories of their pregnancy discrimination and then it's sort of evolved to become a -a one-of-a-kind charity that lobbies against the gender pay gap maternity discrimination and more broadly aims uh, to be a voice for working mums so it would be great to hear about the evolution of Pregnant and Scrooge's journey since 2015 all the way up to today.
0: Yeah, well, I um, I launched Pregnant and Scrooge on International Women's Day and I had no idea what I was doing at all. I just... Set up a website and thought there's all these women that are having all these awful things happen to them when they get pregnant, and I had no idea that this was a thing that women lost their jobs because they dared to procreate. So I set up a website and thought, right, well, let's just give people a place to tell those stories anonymously. Mm. And initially, it was just my story and a friend of mine's story on the website, and then I convinced a few of the people to add their stories. So we we you know it took about three weeks and we had maybe 10 stories on there and then the Victoria Derbyshire show good old Victoria Derbyshire got in touch and said this is really interesting we'd love you to come on and talk about it and I've never done anything like that before in my life so I was absolutely petrified Mm. and I went on and I talked about my experience and talked about some of the stories we'd had and talked about the problem more broadly. And we had a case study there, somebody else talked. Um, and I was so nervous that as soon as the camera stopped rolling, I burst into tears from the adrenaline. <laughs> It's just all felt a bit too much. Um, But after that, it all went absolutely wild and the story started flooding in. My um, phone was just going off constantly and uh, by probably the end of the week, we had um, hundreds of stories catalogued on there and it grew and grew and more and more press and media became interested in what we were doing. And then the Equality and Human Rights Commission released their report into pregnancy and maternity discrimination they've been commissioned by the government and that was the report that found that 54,000 women a year lose their jobs for getting pregnant so that's a woman every 10 minutes in the Mm. UK one in nine pregnant women lose their jobs for getting pregnant And it also found that 77% of working mums encounter some form of discrimination in the workplace. And those figures had almost doubled in 10 years. Mm. So far from improving, the situation was drastically deteriorating. Mm. And because of that data and because of that report, then the people seemed much more interested in having these conversations and talking about it. Mm. And so we realized that we needed to do more we couldn't just be a place for people to catalogue their stories because people needed help and support and i was um in i was i was on mum's net i'd <laughs> written an article on mum's net and people were being quite awful to me as sometimes happens on mum's net and then uh, a lawyer stuck up for me and we ended up talking and i she, she, i lived in manchester at the time and said she and we decided to meet for a cup of tea and i said to her I don't suppose you'd help me set up a free legal advice line. And she said, yeah, why not? And initially she was speaking to maybe two or three people a day maximum. And she would she would call people back. She'd do it from the bath. She'd have a bath at night and she'd call oh, people wow. back and give them free legal advice and that grew and so we ended up having a team and the lawyer who was originally involved still runs that free legal advice service but she has a team of lawyers that work with her and then we realized that it was actually really difficult for women to take an employee to tribunal fewer than one percent of women who Um, experience discrimination even raise a tribunal claim and we thought right we need to do something to improve that and so we set up a mentor scheme to pair up women who had been through that process with a woman about to go through it as a sort of peer-to-peer support program just to give people the some a shoulder to cry on if you like when they Mm. were going through that process but someone that could really help them that knew what was coming up and then we set up pregnant and Uh, America and Spain and Sweden to show that this wasn't just a problem in the UK it was there was no country that was immune from this Mm. and we started doing events and and yeah we're now a fully functional charity there are five members six members of staff and um, and we last year supported
1: uh, 89,000 women Oh, my goodness. Wow. What an absolute journey you've been on with Pregnant Then Screwed. Um, Some of the figures you've just mentioned as well are really stark with some of the issues that women face, especially with childcare and having to, you know, have experiencing pregnancy discrimination, not being able to do much about it. Um, And it seems as though this platform, it was something that was much needed for a long time. Um, and and you mentioned that some of these figures are also going up as well in terms of discrimination and it is sort of counterintuitive because you assume as the years go by, um, people evolve and they, and they become less antagonistic towards women who decide to have children and that the work-life balance is something that's upheld, but clearly it's, you know, this is a much needed organization, um. And the amount of people that you, that you that have come through to Pregnant and Screwed and spoken about their issues really does highlight the, the imminence of the problem and, and how much more needs to be done. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that um, sort of journey of Pregnant and Screwed. There's clearly a lot of work that you've done and your team has done um, over the course of the last few years um, and it's come to fruition in a really positive way. You're clearly making a difference for a lot of people um you mentioned that you know you're, you're focused on uh, on your website you say you know you're focused on the lived experiences of those you support to help inform your work um, and you mentioned the the free advice line that started off and is still going um giving pregnant women and, and parents advice uh, about you know issues with parenthood and work and sort of balancing the two um It'll be really interesting to know, I think, to know, I think um, what are some of the most striking examples of pregnancy discrimination that you've come across uh, from the advice line and from other sort of areas of your work and how have you used those examples to, to galvanise change uh, in maternity policy?
0: Yeah, I mean, pregnancy and maternity discrimination, people often go, what does that even mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, And it can mean... Um, it can mean anything from sackings, redundancies to bullying and harassment to rejecting a flexible working request for no good reason to demotions and being sidelined. Uh, they would all fit under that umbrella. So it can feel very extreme. Mm. And in my case, it was very extreme. I informed my employer that I was pregnant. And the next day they sacked me by voicemail And my employer was a children's charity. It couldn't really get much more extreme. But in the majority of cases, it's a slow drip, drip, bullying effect. So most employers know that if they just push you out of your job, then uh, they're potentially up for a lawsuit. So instead of sacking you or making you redundant, they strip you of your confidence. And it's done behind closed doors with the curtains drawn, papers are shredded, nothing is documented and things start to go awry from the moment that you mention that you're pregnant. So suddenly your personal development reviews will go from excellent to substandard in the blink of an eye and you think, well, hold on, my work hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just the perceptions of my work. And there is a well-documented bias from employers to pregnant women and to mothers, particularly mothers of young children. And you see that play out in the way that mothers are treated, but it's also subtle that you can't quite put your finger on it. It's gaslighting. Mm. Ends you completely mad because you can't, you know, you can't really pull somebody up on it. It's very hard to prove in a legal case but you know it's happening Mm. or worse you don't realize it's happening and you think that you've done something wrong Mm. and that you have screwed up and it can really take its toll I've spoken to women who have experienced pregnancy or maternity discrimination 10 years previously and they're still suffering the consequences of it mentally Mm. and some of the stories that we've heard so um this is quite a common one we had a woman who had worked for the same employer for uh, about six years she was doing really well her boss told her she deserved a promotion she had to go for an interview but it was just a formality the job was in the bag and before the interview she told her boss that she was pregnant she didn't get the job and when she their boss why he said he had discussed things with his wife and they had decided that her priorities would change you know and examples like that you sort of think well I can see that actually you meant well you sort of thought oh this is going to be really intense you're going to become a mother and um you know in my day we didn't women didn't do that so I'm going to take the pressure off you and not give you this promotion that you're Mm -hmm. expecting but then there's there's examples that are much more extreme. So there was a woman who had really, really severe morning sickness, you know, hyperemesis style morning sickness. And so she was going to the bathroom six or seven times a day to vomit.
1: Mm. And her
0: boss just thought she was skiving. She was making it up. So he told her that she had to vomit in a waste paper bin next to his desk in an open plan office of 60 people. My God. So this poor woman was getting up six or seven times a day and really severely vomiting in front of all of these people who would turn around and stare at her in a bin, and then she'd just have to put the bin back and go and sit down. And you can imagine the utter humiliation, the yeah, yeah, and the stress of that. Um, And then there was a story of a woman who was bullied so viciously by her colleagues when she informed them that she was pregnant, that she went into labor prematurely because of course the stress of bullying and harassment is really not good for a baby, it's not good for a fetus. Um, And so we hear of lots of women having complications with with their pregnancy as a result of discrimination. So she went into labor prematurely. And when she was in the neonatal clinic with her baby, who could have died, her boss called her and made her redundant.
1: Wow. Top all that off. Oh, my goodness.
0: Just really callous, really really cruel. cruel, Yeah. Cool, thoughtless. Yeah. um, not not treating her like a human being mm. at all um and so these these stories you know they they really do vary but in um, in a large number of
1: cases they they seriously affect the women that are involved mm. and do you think raising awareness of some of these stories helps bring to the fore some other similar ish, issues that people that women experience and then maybe change some of the sort of workplace discrimination and sort of culture around maternity leave and making decisions on behalf of women about what they want and what's best for them and what's going to work for them when they're pregnant and, and having children, do you reckon that, you know, bringing, bringing to light like some of these stories, uh, you know, is helping to, to remove some of the stigma attached to talking about these issues openly?
0: Yeah, I think it does a number of things, publishing these stories. I think it makes women, firstly... And importantly, it reminds women that this isn't their fault. Mm. It's, very often, women blame themselves. You know, I shouldn't have got yeah. pregnant. Burdened yes. body, it's my fault. Um, and by them, you you punish yourself. You always have unkind things to say about yourself. But when you read it, and it's somebody else that it's happened to. You feel an enormous amount of empathy and sympathy and things like that. That should have happened. And then you can you realize that it's not okay for it to happen to you.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, but okay. it also brings an enormous amount of solace to women who are going through that experience to know that they're not the only person that yes. this is
1: yeah. solidarity.
0: Yeah. And they read those stories and sit and cry with a box of tissues and but then feel empowered to challenge the discrimination because they realize as well this isn't just about them this is about women mm. this if they tackle this head-on then the likelihood is that this won't happen to other women within that organization so it makes them feel much more powerful than they did previously mm. but at the same time it raises awareness publicly that this is happening and, and it's not
1: acceptable yeah
0: and how how awful it really is um. the damage it causes um people just see statistics you know with the Equality and Human Rights Commission now oh, 54,000 women a year lose their job for getting pregnant it's sort of meaningless really, mm, really yeah. to, you know to, so to put the human story uh, yeah. out there of what that actually looks like in reality changes the perceptions of this issue for the public um and also we know that those stories are then used by people in power who want to change this so mps often quote stories they find on our website
1: Mm. and so
0: it really is a it it, i think i think this is the way you change things it's about it's about um you know telling that lived experience of somebody Mm. i think statistics
1: change things i think people change things humans change things Mm. Yeah. And you, you know, rightly, as part of your strategy point out, you know, you're working hard to increase the diversity of the women that you seek to support. Um, It would be great to, you know, have some examples of any sort of consultation or partnership work that you're doing to reach out to those um, underserved groups as well to see, you know, who who is really being sort of impacted by pregnancy discrimination, maternity discrimination and, and what's being done about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the sad thing is we don't have a huge amount of data on this publicly. The Equality and Human Rights Commission report simply said that if you are a black or brown woman, you are more likely to experience pregnancy or maternity discrimination. If you are a disabled woman, you're more likely to experience pregnancy and maternity discrimination the same if you're single the same if you're under the age of 26 but there was no actual statistics around how much more likely you are so when we do surveys we always collect demographic data so that mm. we can break it down and more often than not we see that that trend also plays out in lots of other issues not just in pregnancy and maternity discrimination yeah things like how childcare costs impact families, for example. Um, during the pandemic we were collecting data on uh, the safety of pregnant women and we were seeing trends around uh, particularly black women were being placed in positions that were more unsafe than white women were. Um, and uh, so we always you know, try and get as much of that data as we possibly can mm-hmm we are keen of course to reach more uh black and brown women and disabled mm. men um and the way that we do that and the way that we're trying to do that better is um is a mixture of things I mean essentially we want to you know really we want to get out of the way we want mm. black and brown women and disabled women to be able to speak for themselves and have their own platform as much as possible to talk about these issues because I'm not I am not the right person to talk about this.
1: No, of course, yeah.
0: But we do have um black and brown women on our team. We do have a disabled woman on our um board of trustees. So they're sort, you know, overse- overseeing and um constantly looking at ways that we can ensure that we are um we're you know working in the right way and, yes. and trying to reach those groups. Yes. Um, we do, <clears throat> with March of the Mummies, the protest that we're doing on the 29th of October, we're partnering with organisations like uh, the M- Muslim Women's Network, uh, Black Mums Up Front, um, and then uh, Fawcett Society, Gingerbread, who work with single parents. We've made oh, wow. sure yeah, with, with organisations that... Um, already have relationships with those communities because mm. that's the best way to do it rather than trying to build something from the ground up you know yes. where, what, what exists and um, as best we possibly can and um, with uh we've got a festival coming up called reset which is about motherhood and mental health that starts on the 12th of september it's an online festival um, and again, we always are really careful about how we curate those events to make sure that women with different lived experiences, their voices are heard, um, and that we're talking about some of the issues that are pertinent to different mm. communities. So for example, we're gonna, we'll be doing a whole session on black women's mental health as part of mm. um, Reset Festival. So we, we, have, um, we have very recently a member of our team uh, called OSHA, who is brilliant and has been a maternity cover covering our support services. She's now going to stay on with us. And um, part of her role will be this partnership working, how we grow our partnership working, how we reach women from more diverse communities, because it's something she is really interested in and passionate about. And it's something that we we really want to do. She's a black woman. um, And so uh, she's, you know, but she's much more well placed to do it than I am
1: yeah that sounds like it sounds like you've taken a very intersectional approach to targeting some of these groups some of the charities and organizations that you've mentioned that you work with Um, with your upcoming protests and your um, festival as well it sounds like you're you know going in the right direction and very much looking forward to um some of these events that you've got coming up um so you, you mentioned the reset festival as well so when is that when did you say that was
0: That starts on the 12th of September and it runs for five days. it's it's all all online, online. yeah. Yeah, and so there's about 40 different events happening over the five days and uh, you can either watch them live as they happen or you'll receive the recordings and you can watch them for up to six months afterwards. But it's really focused on mental health because the biggest issue we're seeing at the moment is the deterioration of the mental health of mothers in particular – part because of the cost of living crisis which we all know we're all very stressed about money um and that's playing havoc with our mental health but also because we're sort of the the pandemic is over and many of us haven't really recovered from it that recovery process is starting now um and so we were just getting so many calls from women who we could see were just on the floor that we felt like we had to do something about it. So it gives women the tools they need to like feel better and uh, to um, think about how they can cope with the upcoming months. But it's also, there's a lot of comedy and we're gonna do a dance party and uh, there's an opportunity to do
1: one-to-one therapy as well. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Very much looking forward to hearing more about that. and for those listeners who, you know, are hearing more about Pregnant and Scrooge, who might have not heard of you before and want to get involved. Um, so you've mentioned uh, protests, protest, you've mentioned March of the Mummies and this um, festival coming up, the Reset Festival. Are there any other ways that people who are really keen to sort of campaign and, and help and get involved with Pregnant and Scrooge, are there any other ways that they might be able to, to get involved?
0: yeah well the key thing to do would be to follow us on instagram because that's where we post all of our sort of calls to action if you like so on instagram we are at pregnant underscore then underscore screwed i think that's right yeah yeah (laughs) and uh we we're constantly posting on there asking people to do things like sign petitions fill in surveys write to their mp about the issues that we're experiencing but the key key thing we want everybody to do and this is so so important is attend march of the mummies on the 29th of october it's happening in 11 cities across the uk so you have no excuse on location um is I, I would try and list all the locations, but I know I'll forget some of them. Uh, the main one is in London, the other ones are satellite marches, and there'll be some absolutely incredible speakers which we'll be announcing soon. We've already had 5,000 people registered to attend. These types of demonstrations really are the thing that makes such a enormous difference. Yeah. Any campaign, and we see throughout history. That the moment things change is when people get together and they get out the streets on a commu- as as a community and they say enough is enough. We want action, and if you're not going to take that action, <clears throat> we will very loudly and very clearly, as a solid group, say that is not okay. Um, and so the only way that we do that is by people coming and attending this March so I'm really asking everybody listening to um, get on your get your Halloween costumes on because uh, it is very close to Halloween and it's called March of the Mummies not just because it will be uh, many of the marchers will be mothers but because we want people to dress up in Halloween costume to create quite a spectacle and Come to the your local march. It will start at eleven o'clock. It will finish at one o'clock. It's fun, family friendly. There'll be music. There'll be talks. Um, So it's a fun day out for all of you. But also, it really will be, we believe, the key to getting the government to change our childcare system, the flexible working policies in the UK, and our parental leave system, which just isn't good enough.
1: Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of um, events coming up and a lot of busy times ahead. And I'm sure that our listeners um, who want to be involved um, have got enough information now to sort of get going and get started. Um, one thing you mentioned that really struck out to me just now, um in the UK, you know, as you said, it's been unfit for purpose for a very, very long time. We need a radical shift um, in our mindset um, on the impact of childcare. On the economy, you would think that logically you know, increased tax revenue from additional earnings and then res- less reliance on welfare would recoup any sort of government investment into more affordable and better quality childcare. And yet, for some reason, it's not something that's on anyone's priority list. Um, you did a survey uh, with 27,000 parents, published jointly with Mumsnet as well, which revealed that 99% of parents find the c- cost of childcare is making the cost of living crisis even more challenging for them. 62% say that the cost of childcare is now the same or more than their rent or mortgage, which is absolutely insane. Um, This then rises to 73% for single parents. And we've got 43% of mums saying that the cost of childcare has made them consider leaving their job. Uh, And 40% saying that they had to work fewer hours than they would like because of childcare costs. Now, there's going to be no sort of one-size-fits-all um, solution to this because everyone's got different circumstantial challenges, um, earning disparities as well. So there are so many factors in, in which impact the way in which childcare is designed in the UK and and how it impacts um, women and families. But as a starting point, based on your own experience and what you've seen. Um, you know, working with pregnant and screwed over the over the last few years, and just from your own sort of personal perception, you know, what would you what would you say would be sort of a good starting point to to start to tackle some of the challenges with we face with a childcare system in the UK.
0: The big problem with our childcare system is that the government doesn't invest in it. If you look at how much the UK government invests as a proportion of GDP compared to other countries, it's really, really low. Mm. And they constantly say, well, we're investing 5 billion in the early years, so that's enough and uh, we won't bother investing anymore. It's all about the way the money is uh, being distributed. And that's just nonsense. It's not true. Um, The other countries invest far more money. And they have a really good quality, really affordable childcare system that benefits everybody. It benefits the economy. It benefits children. It benefits mothers. If we are really, comp- lots of people compare us to S- Sweden and Norway and Denmark and Iceland, and we're not really comparable to those countries. We we are comparable to as an economy to Canada, uh, Japan, Australia and uh, New Zealand. Those Those are countries that we're very similar to in terms of our welfare state. Those countries, nearly all of them, have recently invested a lot of money in their childcare system. Canada has just invested $30 billion to create a childcare system that costs no more than $10 a day to the user. And they've done that not because... They wanted to be kind. They've done it because they crunched the numbers and they realized that for every dollar they invested in childcare, they got between $1.50 and $2.80 back into the wider economy. Mm. It is good for the economy. It, it is an investment, not absolutely, yes. I do not understand why it is a radical notion to say that we should have a free universal childcare system. We have a free education system. We have a free healthcare system. Why is it so mental to think that we should also give all children access to free early years education below the age of five? So that's what we are aiming for. We want to see a free universal childcare system.
1: Absolutely. And I'm sure... Everyone who, you know, is a parent would agree with that um, because it really does impact, you know, the, the, the lifestyle and the standard of living that you have. If you're spending such a big chunk of your wage on childcare, you don't really have much left over to, you know, do other things with your children and, and just to have that, you know, better quality of life, especially because the, the earnings of this country on average, you know, they, they haven't really been going up in, in line with inflation for a very long time now and now that inflation inflation is actually biting it's you know really becoming apparent how underpaid the majority of this country actually is yeah. um and and hopefully that brings to light you know the need for childcare to be um subsidized by the government um mm-hmm. and another thing that i came across actually women who have a baby miss out on almost 70,000 pounds in wages over the following decade so this is something that came into my inbox recently from the social market foundation i think they did a bit of research into this Um, so the question really is how can we better engage with employers to encourage them to make their workplace the best it can be for working parents you know offering you know, those promotions and those opportunities to women who, you know, either going on maternity leave or have just come back after having a baby, how can they feel included uh, when it comes to developing um, their careers?
0: I mean, the key thing that employers have to do is eliminate their bias because we all have these biases, um, whether we want to call them conscious or unconscious bias, that it's there. And we know that it's there towards mothers, and pregnant women. And so that's got to be tackled by employers head on. You've got to accept that those biases exist and figure out how to deal with them. Um, and so a really basic thing that I think most employers should do is really is explain to all their employees, all their managers, the benefits of looking after pregnant women. when I wasn't a mother i had no appreciation for it whatsoever and i treated parents differently as a result and i'm really ashamed of myself for doing that um but i i think this still goes on a lot you know and um, it would make such an enormous difference if those conversations were had and they were really open and they talked about these challenges, they talked about the benefits. The second thing that employees can do, which is just so simple, it makes me want to cry, but it doesn't happen, is uh, ask them, ask mothers in your organization what it is that they need and, and do it. You know, I mean, it's really not rocket science, but they, employers just think they've got all the answers and it's a top-down approach um I've got an ice green van that's uh, <laughs> that's okay <laughs> th- thankfully the kids are not here to shout give me a ice um so we like to see women's groups set up who are given the resources that they need to have those conversations with all the female employees um And then to lobby as a group, lobby the CEO to say, this is what we need. Because within that group, of course, you have women that feel less powerful than other women. More junior members of staff don't feel like they can say what the problems are, but they potentially could if they were in a safe environment with other women. Um, And then in addition to that, really simple things like, you know, enhancing maternity leave, enhancing paternity leave, flexible working advertising all jobs as flexible from the outset because it's very point it's pretty pointless saying yeah we do flexible working and then trying to shoehorn flexible working into a structure that was built around a nine to five five day a week Mm -hmm. whereas if are forced to advertise all your jobs as flexible from the outset you're designing your organization flexibly Mm. Uh, so we've been lobbying and campaigning for that to be law for a long time and companies that have done it such as Zurich Insurance have seen a 20% increase in the number of women applying for jobs and these are really highly skilled women so it's good for the business to do this as well Well,
1: you know women make up 50% of the population so they should you know rightly be in those senior positions and those um, top level positions and I think the pandemic the one good thing that has come out of the pandemic is you know normalizing flexible working policies because prior to that you know I think even doing like a working from home one day a week would have been something that was quite unusual and now people working from home much more you know probably the majority of their time then going in you know sort of ad hoc on an ad hoc basis but having said that there are going to be some roles where you know inevitably you are going to have to go in you know so if you're a teacher if you work in the healthcare sector then you are going to have to sort of go in because those jobs do demand having to be in a particular environment but i think those of us who can actually um work flexibly from home we should have the opportunity to do so um you know i work in a place where we do have that flexible working policy and women uh and and you know even men who have children and they have you know to pick their kids up from school you know they'll block out those hours um and then when they're dropping them off they'll block out those hours and sort of work around that time and that's something that's really welcome and i think it does increase the diversity of workforces and and attract you know attract the best talent as you say so that is very, very important. Um, can't stress that enough. And hopefully, I know that, you know, there are some people who have gripes about, you know, flexible working and you've got to be present to be able to show that you're working and some of that sort of thought process, you know, it's very archaic, you know, it's 2022. So, you know, people can, can get their job done um, wherever they are, if, if if they have a computer and they have that function, that capability, they should be able to do it. Yeah, totally agree. I mean. Wasn't, isn't it amazing that
0: women were asking for more working from home for about a decade, and then as soon as the men needed it, it was yeah. fine, it was doable. Absolutely. It, was, it wasn't doable before that, but suddenly, yeah, as soon as the men needed it, then it was <laughs> And Yeah, we, we are seeing that some of that is embedding, but the downside is uh, that we're seeing other types of flexible working requests are not being accepted because mm. it's being more flexible about location, when you ask for part-time working or concentrated hours or flexi time or whatever it is, you're now sadly from our data more likely to be rejected. And often those are the types of flexible working that can be more beneficial for Mm. mothers who do the majority of the, uh, domestic labor and they do the majority of the collection of kids and drop offs for kids. Mm. Um, so there's there's pros and cons and uh yes more homeworking is really benefiting um mothers and different types of employees particularly disabled workers mm,
1: absolutely yeah definitely it,
0: um we are really worried about the other types of flexible working deteriorating and it's just it just amazes me that um, employers have not got the memo on this like the number of reports there are that shows flexible working, increases staff retention, increases staff well-being, increases productivity, increases
1: your profits.
0: Mm.
1: And yet they go, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Right. <laughs> it's very short sighted thinking, isn't it? It's the same with recruitment. You know, if, if someone you know goes for a promotion, they don't get it and they, and they go and they yeah. it's just like, well, it's going to cost you so much money to now recruit a replacement and you could have just... You know, helped someone progress and develop in their career who is already internally, you know, part of your organization. So yeah. it's very short sighted thinking, I think. It's just about, you know, immediate gains and not long term investment, which is the problem. That's, yeah, exactly it. But, Jolie, um, I want you to tell me a bit more about your book um, as well the truth about the motherhood penalty and, and how to fix it. And where, where can we buy it from?
0: All good bookshops, Daniel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all the all the good ones. The good ones. <laughs> and yeah, it's
0: uh I wrote I finished writing it during the pandemic, which actually makes me send shivers down my spine now when I think about that end process of writing it, because it was just absolute chaos. I bet um, it was grueling. It was really <laughs> grueling. It yeah. was trying to look after the kids, do homeschooling, keep pregnant and screwed afloat, and finish a book. <laughs> um but the, the book is essentially explains what the motherhood penalty is because people hear that phrase and they go, well, what, what do you mean? Motherhood isn't a penalty. Motherhood is glorious and wonderful and I love my children. Stop calling it a penalty. That's not what I'm saying at all. Of course, motherhood is a glorious, happy, joyous, messy, noisy affair. Um, the motherhood penalty is the fact that When men have children, they get pay rises and promotions. When women have children, they get pay cuts and demotions. And that is a fact. And why is that? Why is that happening? Because women are just as capable as men. We are just as ambitious as men. And yet we, by the time our first child is 12 years old, on average, our hourly pay rate is 33% behind a man's. What is going on there? And- so the the book unpicks that what, what's going on, what are the systems and structures that are preventing women from having the same earnings as men, and how can we fix it? So it takes you through the key issues, which to me are childcare, flexible working, paternity leave, access to justice, pregnancy and maternity discrimination. But it also looks at this notion that um if you're pregnant or if you've just had a baby, you are distracted and you are not committed to your job mm. and, and counters counters that argument shows that there's mo- there's a lot of research that um, proves we are- We're Even not motivated. We're not, yes, exactly. In many cases, much more motivated than we were before. Mm. And actually in many cases, women want to work more hours. They want to progress their careers. Um, they're just unable to do so and in a lot of cases men want to do more of the caring they're desperate
1: to look after mm, their kids yeah um, and and there are you know there's even the rise you know the stay-at-home dad that you know dads want to stay at home and spend more time with their kids and there's a bit of role reversal going on there and women need to be enabled and empowered to to want to work because they do want to and they're perfectly capable of doing so as you say But um, I'm definitely going to add that to my um, reading list.
0: Um, I mean, they make it sound really serious and
1: academic. It's not. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm sure I've got some really good anecdotes in there as well from your own personal experiences and from others that you know about. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it will make you cross reading it without a doubt because that, that, that this is
0: fixable and that actually it's about um lethargy from the government they just can't be bothered to fix it they don't prioritize it so it will make you angry it will potentially <laughs> be able to punch something but having said that you know it's it's not academic it's not it you know hopefully it's written in a very readable way and I've mm, uh, tried ad, quite a bit of humor in
1: there as well good, good that's good um so I think I'd like to end on I guess Um, a bit of a personal note Um, I want to ask you um, and I'm gonna be asking my other guests in this series about this too um, what is the the best thing about being a mum what's the hardest thing and finally what is the one piece of advice you'd give to expectant or new mothers oh the best
0: okay Um, (laughs) is there more than one thing (laughs) (laughs) the best thing about being a mum Look, I mean, motherhood, to me, before you have children, I think your spectrum of emotion actually is quite small. Mm. When you have kids, you've never felt so uh, the joy and pride and elation and happiness to that extremity before. It's a whole new feeling, but at the same time, You've also never felt the depths of darkness and depression.
1: (laughs) Oh wow! So very conflicting and polarized emotions.
0: To me, that's how I felt. I felt like I'd never, I'd, I was experiencing emotions that I'd never felt before on both sides. Mm. So first year, I mean, it was I had postnatal depression, and my kids didn't sleep, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done, and I went a bit mental and i thought g- crikey, at points i thought what have i done what have
1: i, done? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think a lot <laughs> of people have that yeah that yeah. Like, oh god what have i done <laughs> what have i let but myself then, in?" <laughs> and- <laughs>
0: but then they smile at you and giggle or as they get older they say some really hilarious things <laughs> and they give you big giggles and you know you just you you feel so proud when they do the smallest of things and um you know it really is a wonderful joyous beautiful thing but it's also bloody bloody hard mm-hmm. um so yeah i guess and- the best thing about it is the love and the joy and the worst thing about it is the the oh. dark days
1: yeah 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 absolutely so i mean what what would you say to to mothers to be then on that basis that will it get easier you know, yeah it gets it really does get easier
0: the first year is tough and things get better from there once they start speaking I think you get payback because they're entertaining <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, get something out yeah. of it because probably it's a one-sided conversation isn't it you're not getting any sort of response yeah
0: you sort of just you know for the, I mean the, for, to me this isn't everybody's experience of course but to me it was um, they, when you first have them, they sort of all they do is cry,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: and, and just want feeding. So you're sort of a robot that's just going through the motions, and uh, that that feels very difficult. Mm. Um, and it, but it does get better. And it, yeah, it. What, no matter how dark and depressed things get, remember, it's all a phase, as they say. <laughs>
1: it's gonna end. It's, it's not forever.
0: It's not forever it's not forever no.
1: oh, well that's been really insightful uh, it's good to hear a sort of personal perspective on it um, well Jolie it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today um, thank you so much for gracing us with your wisdom, your insights and your good humour hope you enjoyed uh, chatting with me um, yeah absolutely. it's been really good to, to speak to you and uh, thank you very much
0: thanks Dania, thanks for having me
1: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you know someone who you think might like this episode, please do let them know. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do live as a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and you'll be notified as soon as a new episode goes live. Producing and hosting this podcast is done by me on an entirely voluntary basis. So if you enjoy listening, Please consider supporting it through Patreon so that it can continue to provide you with engaging and meaningful content. If you would like to donate, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash browndon't frown pod. If you have any thoughts or comments, or would like to get in touch and contribute to the podcast, please do drop us a line at browndon'tfrownpod at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed listening.